Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Well, it is good to uh, to be back in center. Um, some of you know I'm the campus pastor at Patchogue, so every Sunday and Tuesday I'm over there. And I uh, want to thank you for just all the prayers and the support. It's amazing just to see what God is doing and uh, just some absolutely miraculous things are happening over there. And uh, it's, it's incredible, but you are just as much a part of it as anybody. It was from this campus that we were able to start that one. And uh, we just want to say thank you for all of the prayers and all of the support. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. If you've never checked it out, you should do it on a Tuesday night. And, and I know that you'd be blown away with what God is doing. It's been great. But it is good to be back. And uh, as I was talking to the staff there, let me know that you guys started a brand new series last week called Around the Table, which is centered around the importance of community. And just like you're going to hear again at the end, I know that they, they made a hashtag that they were encouraging people to use as you do things in the community and as you make an effort to spend time with people that you would hashtag those pictures, circles versus rows. And so cool. So as I was asking them, what are some aspects of community that you're trying to to hit, one of the things that came up was the importance of unity, the importance of unity. And this is something that I've been walking our campus through over the last year as we're kind of establishing the culture that we are going to have, that we're going to put effort into keeping and protecting. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this simple title down, No Community Without Unity. No Community Without Unity. Turn to your neighbor and say, No Community Without Unity. For the sake of not offending anybody, say the same thing to the other person sitting next to you. No community without unity. You know, you can't even spell the word community without unity. It is, that's good. That's good. And I didn't even come up with that. But unity is so important. It is of the the utmost importance. And I want to stress this, that as you're doing a series on community, it is so important to make an effort to do things with each other. But community is so much bigger than an event. True community is not just event-driven, it's relational, right? It's, it's doing a life together with one another. And if you have made an effort to do things with other people, you're going to realize at some point that it is going to take some effort and intentionality on your part to be unified with those people. You know, so many times when the, the moment that we feel like that bond or that closeness isn't coming as natural, we, in our minds, we reason, well, if I can't be myself around that person, then I guess this friendship isn't for me, this relationship isn't for me, and, and then we bounce. But the Bible actually talks about the importance of maintaining the unity that Jesus came to establish, that that is part of our calling as believers is to maintain that unity. But this is the reality. It is hard work. It takes a lot of effort, and, and even more than effort, what it takes is we could as a church be like, oh, yeah, community is great. We should all have it. Until a bunch of individuals take ownership of the fact that I need healthy community in my life and I'm going to put in the cost and I'm going to do what I can do to protect unity with people in my life, you'll never have it. This isn't something that we subscribe to as a group. This is something that as individuals you take ownership of and say, I need healthy community. I want to be a part of healthy community. I want to set a culture of healthy community. And so I'm going to do everything that I can do to make sure that there's unity in my family and amongst my friends, and in my workplace, in my social circle, at my church, I'm going to put in the tough work of protecting unity. Anybody on board with me? Or you're like, hey, burnt, let's talk about something else. Guess what? I got one thing I'm talking about, so it doesn't matter what you just said. We're going we're gonna to go through with it. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. 
If not, I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to be throwing a lot of scripture at you today, so uh, you could just write the reference down and look it up later. We're going to put it up on the screen, but in case I'm not convincing enough, I want to I really show you what the Bible has to say about this matter. Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, that's what we call a trump card. If you're about to argue with anything he's about to say, he's letting you know, I'm in prison for what I believe, so don't try to argue with me. A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility. Someone say humility and gentleness. Say gentleness with patience. Say patience. Bearing with one another in love. Say love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love this passage of Scripture because Paul is pointing out that seeking unity is part of your calling as a Christian. I think a lot of times if unity happens, that's awesome, but we don't really look at that as our calling. A lot of times when I view my calling in terms of my relationship with God, it's God bringing me somewhere where I could have never got on my own. It's God expanding my reach. It's God expanding my influence. Paul is saying part of your calling, a huge part of your calling as a son or daughter uh, of God is to maintain the unity that Jesus came to establish. We don't always prioritize making the effort or the intentionality of protecting or maintaining or creating unity. But do you know that it was so important for God that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross because he wanted to be unified with his creation? And so Paul is saying this is something that we have to, to work at. And the cool thing is, is that he equips us, he points out four things that are so important in order to maintain the unity that Jesus came to establish. And that was humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Let me say this, if you're thinking of unity in the context of church, I believe that church should not always be the same group of people who look the same, who talk the same, who act the same, who vote the same, who post the same stuff. If the church is reaching out the way that it should, there should always be people in here who look different than you, who talk different than you, who think different than you, who vote different than you, and that's good. That's okay. We got a half clap. That's better than a no clap. I like the half clap. So it may you may be like, oh yeah, I'm a person who likes unity. That could be true, or that could be you just don't put yourself around anyone who doesn't look different than you, or who looks different than you. I think I added an extra word in there. Maybe your circle just looks like people like you. Where where it really comes in if you have a heart for unity is when you start to be around people who aren't like you, who don't value the same things that you value. And so you say, well, where is the balance between me walking this, this walk out and doing what I feel called to do and, and, and following these guidelines that God has put on my life, but also having unity and close relationship with somebody who doesn't? Well, this is where Paul says it's going to require humility, it's going to require gentleness, patience, and you're going to need to make the choice to bear with somebody in love. So we're going to look at these four things this morning, and I want to give you some practical ways that these apply to your life. The first thing we're going to look at is this issue of humility. The dreaded H word. And this is what we're going to do. It's so much easier to identify something that's already in your life than to identify something that's not in your life. 
And so we could sit back and we could talk about the importance of humility. And if we took a poll, everyone would probably think that you, to some degree, are humble. But let's look at the opposite of what Paul is saying. The opposite of humility is pride. And pride wants to be right. Pride wants to be justified. Pride wants to be recognized. Every single person in this room can relate to that. Every single person in this room can relate to that feeling of wanting to know that you're right, wanting the other person to know that you're right, wanting to be viewed as someone who's respected and someone who's justified in the way that you are conducting yourself, the way that you're speaking, the, the decisions that you're making. Jesus tells this story in, in Luke 10, which illustrates this better, I believe, better than any story in the Bible. And, and the setting of this story is as a lawyer, of all people, coming up to Jesus to test Jesus. And you very quickly will see the, the ulterior motive that this, this lawyer has as he approaches Jesus. We're going to pick it up in Luke 10, verse 25. It says, A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, well, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You may read this story and be like, man, that guy's got some guts talking to Jesus that way. We just do it in a passive-aggressive way. I love, I love how, how the lawyer is approaching this, wanting to test Jesus. His back door is, okay, I know what the law says. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But just because he knows it up here doesn't mean that it ever took, took root in here. He's trying to find the loophole. Again, my, my, my six-year-old, she's at f- such a funny stage right now because I'm starting to see myself in her. And she's at this stage where, you know, we'll say, hey, you need to eat your dinner. And, and her response, like a lawyer, would be, okay, I'll eat my dinner, but this is the deal. If I eat my dinner, I'm like, whoa, 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 there's no deal. Like, I told you to eat your dinner, so you're going to eat your dinner. She'd be like, Dad, I won't hit Carter the rest of the day if you. I'm like, no, there's no if you. This is how you act. This is what you're supposed to do. Th- this lawyer is saying, yeah, I know the right answer, but, but who's my neighbor? In other words, he's saying, so who is it that I have to love like myself? Who is it that I have to show dignity to and honor to and respect to and have patience with and have grace with? Who is it? Or in other words, he's saying, and who do I not have to do those things with? Where, where's the line between who I have to treat as a neighbor and who I, who's disqualified from my love? Where's the line where I can stop honoring a person? Where I can stop showing a person dignity? Where I can stop showing a person respect, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And so Jesus' response is to tell a story. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Notice that they both saw him. They saw him and they made the choice to pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. Maybe you're like, all right, that's cool. One guy's awesome. The other two guys are dirtbags. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pointing out something intentionally. He, you have one character, the good Samaritan, who's a Samaritan, and you have the man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead, who's a Jew. These two people groups did not get along. They were on opposite sides of the fence. They hated each other. They had degrading names that they would call one another. They did not get along. And so in response to this, this lawyer asking Jesus, who do I have to, to treat like I would want to be treated? Who, who do I have to show love and honor and respect to? Who qualifies for that? Jesus' response is a story where he's having a Samaritan take care of a Jew and give up and go beyond the extra mile. Like to, to not only pick him up and to bring him to an end, but then to say, whatever you need, I got him covered. I'll pay the bill. I'll do whatever has to happen because I have compassion on this man. Jesus' response, what he's communicating is, there is nobody that's disqualified from your love and your dignity and your honor and your respect. As he's trying to find a loophole to who he doesn't have to do those things to, Jesus is saying there is no loophole. There is no back door. Jesus asked him, which of these uh, three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, you go and do likewise. Jesus is so smart. Jesus is so clever. As the man is approaching Jesus with a, a prideful agenda, trying to figure out who he can treat, how he wants to treat, and how he can be justified in not treating other people the same way, he asked Jesus a question, putting the attention on the recipient of all of these things. The question that Jesus poses to him, Jesus turns it around and he said, who's the good neighbor? Do you see the difference? It's not who qualifies as a neighbor, it's who was the good neighbor. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you being a good neighbor is not contingent on what that person thinks, on how that person acts, on how that person votes, on what that person posts. I've called you to be a good neighbor. Now, if you want to talk about humility, this, this may seem small, but to me, this is significant. Jesus is coming up with the story that he's telling. He's the narrator. He could Work the story out however he wants. Jesus easily could have made the Samaritan the guy who was beaten and robbed and left for dead and the Jew look like the hero who was coming to save the Samaritan. But isn't it so funny that even when Jesus had the opportunity, he wasn't elevating his own culture, he was elevating the Samaritan? Look at the humility that Jesus is, is showing as he's answering this man that there is nobody that is disqualified from your love, honor, and respect. I've called you to be the good neighbor. Can I free you from something real quick? You are not held accountable for how somebody else acts. You are not held accountable for what somebody else says. You are not held accountable for how somebody else votes. You're not held accountable for what bumper sticker they put on their car. You're not held accountable for what they post on Facebook. You know what you are held accountable for? How you treat them. In general, 
Christians become really good at things you were never asked to do, and we overlook the very things that Jesus made so simple and plain right before us. Be a good neighbor. Love, love the people that are in your life. Anybody can give honor to someone that honors them. Anybody can give respect to someone who treats them with respect. Anybody can love somebody that loves them back. I'm asking you to, to be a neighbor to everybody that's in your life, to take the love and the patience and the grace and the mercy that I have shown you, and you start to show it to everybody else. If anybody had the right to put some boundaries or some dividing lines up in place, it was God. If anybody said, hey, these people don't qualify for my love anymore, it was God. But God, talk about going the extra mile, God sent his son, his one and only son, to come and die on the cross for you and I. So Jesus is saying, hey, if, if I did that for you, I'm asking you to love everyone in your life. I'm asking you to treat everybody with respect. I'm asking you to be the good neighbor. Now, Paul just, he doesn't leave it there, and he has passages like this all throughout his letters. But there's one passage that I think is so funny in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is writing a letter to this church because go figure there's some arguments and quarreling going on in the church. I know that would never happen in our church. Like people would never disagree in our church or have an opinion on what we're doing or not doing in our church. That doesn't happen here. But in this wretched church, there were some people who were having a disagreement. And so Paul is writing them a letter talking about the, the importance of unity. And the context of this letter is that these people were having a disagreement. If you got invited to somebody's house and they, they were to serve you a meal with meat that had already been offered to an idol, should you eat it or should you not? Should you attend the, that get together or, or should you not? And so Paul's response to this problem is he says, this question keeps coming up regarding meat that's been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think that we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. Paul is saying, pride will have you answering everything from up here. What you know to be true. Jesus gave us his spirit which lives in here so that you can have a humble heart so that when you're in a situation or, or a circumstance and you're not really sure what to do, that you're not just answering it from what you know to be true, but you're saying, I realize that I don't know everything, but God does. And his spirit lives in here. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You know what's easy? What's easy is to make policy. I don't do this. I do do this. I will to just draw these lines where in every, you have an answer for every circumstance and every situation. But Jesus did not do life like that. You see, so if you read the Gospels, you see circumstance after circumstance where Jesus was put in these awkward, impossible situations. In public, in private, things where you're like, how would he even answer that? How would he handle himself? And, and Jesus, in every circumstance and situation, he's fully present in the moment and he handles it in that moment. Every time the, the Pharisees think that they have them tripped up, boom. He answers it in a way where he's showing grace to the person who's struggling and he's crushing the pride of the Pharisees. Jesus just has this way in every moment of handling himself in a way where he's still drawing people to himself and he's not compromising in truth at all. 
Paul is saying, as you go through life, and life is messy, life is complicated, life is going to throw you some crazy situations, some crazy friendships, some crazy relationships, things that you didn't ask for, things that you got yourself into, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. Your proud mind can only get you so far, and it won't establish or protect unity. But a humble heart that recognizes, God, I don't know the whole situation. God, I know that you see what's going on that I can't see. All I can see is what I can see. But, God, I know that you are the God who is above it all, who works in the supernatural. So, God, give me wisdom. Give me strength. Give me clarity of how I'm supposed to handle myself right now. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? How do you want me to handle myself? What do you want me to do in this moment? Peter says in 1 Peter 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many people want to fall in the category of opposing God? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the person who who approaches this life in humility. Yeah, I've learned some things. Yeah, I feel like God has revealed some things. I know that God sees everything, and so God, I'm never for a moment going to just jump in and act out of my own pride or my own knowledge, my own experience. God, help me to continually come before you and be led and guided by you. As, as believers right now, we have such an incredible opportunity to show the world a different side of people. In a world where everyone is just concerned about being right, about being recognized, it doesn't matter what news channel you watch when you get home at night they're right, and the other side is wrong. As believers, to walk in humility and to show people, I don't just care about what I know. I actually, I care about you. I love you. I'm here for you. That, that I have this God who's living inside of me, who, who's directing my life, and I want that for you. That speaks volumes. People, people don't care about how much you know. Seriously, people don't care about how much you know. They want to know how much you care. They want to know that you love them, that, that, that you're there for them. If we're ever going to show the unity of Christ, it is going to require humility. It's going to require us making the decision to say, I'm going to lay down my proud mind, and I'm going to pick up a humble heart. God, you lead me and you guide me. Second thing that Paul men, uh, mentions is this issue of gentleness. Gentleness. As a guy, I would never want to be described as gentle. But Paul makes a point to say that, that gentleness is important, that gentleness is, is key. W- what does he mean by that? Well, the opposite of gentleness is harsh, hard, callous, loud, abrasive. Literally defining every New Yorker that has ever lived. Paul is saying to, to maintain this unity that Jesus came, died for, and, and has worked so hard to establish, for you to maintain that, for you to spread that, it's going to not just require you to be humble, but, but you need to put on gentleness. I'm going to be so honest with you right now. Do you know something that gets me so annoyed? Is when people give me the excuse, I'm sorry, that's just how I am. I'm sorry, that's just how I was raised. I'm sorry, that's just how I talk. I'm sorry, that's just my personality. I'm sorry, your personality stinks. 
Like, since when is that a valid excuse to talk harsh and abrasive to people? Christians will make this decision to accept God's grace to save them and then think that God saved them for them just to stay where they're at. God's grace doesn't just save you, but it empowers the believer to to begin this transformation process where you are continually being made in the image of Christ. So there should never be an excuse. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just how I talk. And you know what's so funny? It's typically those people that come up to me and will complain about, like, I feel like I have no friends in my life. I'm like, if you hung out with yourself for one day, you wouldn't want to hang out with you either. Paul is practically saying, gentleness is key. How many people know that you can say the right thing and be dead wrong in the way that you said it? How many Christians, we take up the cause of always saying the right thing and we never even consult the Holy Spirit of when and how we're supposed to say it. And we end up pushing somebody further from God as opposed to being a reflection of who Jesus has been to us. Real wisdom, real truth. Not, not like the lawyer had up here, but real truth and real wisdom realizes that it comes with responsibility. There's responsibility attached to it. James 3 says that real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. Some of the smartest people I know have no friends because they're just know-it-alls. And nobody likes a know-it-all. Nobody likes someone constantly telling them what they don't know or what they're not doing or how they mess everything up. What you should have done was, how you should have said it was. James is practically saying real wisdom is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy and robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. How many people would say, hey, in this context right here, I want this to be a healthy and robust community, right? Amen. Now look to the person to your left and to your right and realize that that's only going to happen if you do the hard work of getting along with that person. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. You know how many people church hop because you come in and you're new and, and really what it is is people just don't realize how messed up you are at the moment And that you're one of these people that just, you know, uses your personality as an excuse to act the way that you want. And then the moment that community doesn't feel natural or doesn't come easy, you're like, well, I guess I'm just not accepted here. I guess I'm just not supposed to be here. And so then you go and you find another group. Healthy community is that you are planted, that that you're saying, I'm going to grow here. I'm going to allow people to speak into my life. I want to be used by God and and I want to be humble and I want to be gentle and I want to be patient and I want to show love to one another. It doesn't come easy. Like nobody in scripture, people who wrote the Bible are telling you it does not come easy. It's not natural. You have to work. It's hard work. It takes people saying, I want my family to be healthy and robust. I want my workplace to be healthy and robust. I want there to be good, solid community everywhere that I go. You got to take that, say, that's my goal. That's my calling. That's my job. And I'm willing to put some hard work into it. I'm going to put some effort into building the community in every area of my life. 
Timothy says in 2 Timothy, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You, you know those people who just want to debate and argue about everything? All right. <laughs> Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Both of these scriptures, in the context of real wisdom, in the context of truth, in the context of speaking into somebody else's life, they tie unity back to gentleness. This is why. When you begin to realize that we don't just know truth up here, we actually have a relationship with the person of truth who has transformed our lives, who has saved us, who has just done such an incredible work. You begin to realize that there is a responsibility to passing on that truth. That when you communicate truth, two things can result. Either a person can be torn down or a person can be built up. The importance of gentleness comes into play where you realize that your, your, your words have power. Your words can speak life and your words can speak death. Your words can tear somebody to shreds and your words can build somebody up. He is saying there's responsibility that comes with wisdom. We need gentleness. We need to make sure that the way that we talk is always done in love. First Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. And from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul in Ephesians, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when I realize that the goal of my instruction, the goal of my, my words, the goal of truth is to build somebody up in love, what that should then do is give me a mental and a heart filter. Those aren't words that you just read over and be like, wow, that, that's, that sounds nice. I wish I was more gentle. That, that, that should give you the filter that before you open your mouth to speak, you ask yourself, is my motive, if I'm honest, is my motive to build this person up? Even if I'm saying the right thing, even if I'm speaking truth, am I building this person up or am I just saying this because I want to be right? Am I saying this because I want people to recognize I got the right answer? I said the right thing. I just don't really like this person. I want them to know they're messing their own life up. I want this person to see that they've done this to themselves, and this life I got over here is a result of the good things that I've done. This should give you a filter to say, if I'm not communicating this because I love this person, I want this person to grow, and I want this person to build up, be built up, even if it's truth, maybe you should keep your mouth shut. Maybe you should save it until you're in a scenario, in a situation where your motive is, I want to see this person grow. I want to pour into this person. I want to help build this person and the person that they are called to be. The goal of our instruction, the goal of truth is love. I, w I work this out on a weekly basis in Patchogue, we, we get so many crazy situations, which I absolutely love. And, and, and week in and week out, I'll be talking to somebody. This happens so much. You know, somebody will be like really excited about what they just experienced or saw or 
encountered and and they'll be talking and they will be saying something that is just absolutely not true. And they'll be like, you know, uh-huh, you know, you know. And I'm like, do I say like, no, that's not right. That's heresy. Like, we don't believe that. Or do I just keep my mouth shut for a moment? And I'm constantly having to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Like in, the, in this moment, what am I supposed to do? Do you want me to speak up? Because I will. Do you want me to stay silent? Because I will. Do you want me to try to navigate the conversation in a different direction? What, what, what should I do? I can't tell you how many times in the last few years there have been things where I started to gear up to say something because I needed that person to know that that wasn't right and I felt the Holy Spirit just give me a check like keep your mouth shut and instead of it being a scenario where I am inserting myself into their life to let them know that we don't we don't do that we don't believe in that you shouldn't be doing that I've been obedient to keep my mouth shut and then a few weeks later a couple months later they come up to me and they say so I noticed something. H- how come you guys don't do this? How come these other couples that I'm talking to, they don't do this or they don't act like that? What, 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 what's the difference? And now the difference in conversation is not me saying the truth so that they know what they're doing is wrong. Now the difference is they're not defensive. They're coming to me, asking me, and I'm saying, hey, this is what God says. This is what the word of God says. And he wants it for you. He loves you. It is so important to be in tune with the Holy Spirit because only he could give you the answers for every situation. There's no one-size-fits-all answer. There's no standard that you could just draw up this contract that you could write, and if, if this relationship or this situation falls in these boxes, then this is the response. No, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That is the answer. He wants to give you wisdom. When you read in Scripture, Jesus really never handled the same or the, a situation the same. There were, there were times where Jesus was flipping over tables and there were times where people were saying things and he was not responding and everything in between. He never handled a situation the same. He handled each one individually because he loved the people that were involved, be- because he was doing what needed to be done. Now, you're not Jesus, but you have the same spirit that raised Jesus back to life living inside of you. Jesus went back to the Father so that his spirit could come on earth and could lead you and could guide you. When I get myself in the most amount of trouble is when I talk before thinking. Seriously, the things I have to apologize for the most, the times where I got to dig myself out of trouble is because I opened my mouth and I never thought about it. An amazing rule of thumb if before you opened your mouth to say something of significance or something pointed, if you could just ask yourself, Holy Spirit, do I have the right motives with this? You know how much conflict you would save yourself? If we had a church full of people that weren't perfect, but were striving to say, I don't want to just react. I don't want to just respond. I want to speak truth and love. I want my heart, my motives to always be to build the people up around me. We'd have no more counseling appointments, and that'd be the most amazing thing in the world. Just kidding. We love that went over dead. <laughs> Gentleness is always disarming. Gentleness is, is always honoring. We need to, to be seeking the Holy Spirit, even if you know what to say, when, and how to say it how you're supposed to navigate the situation. The third thing that Paul mentions is patience. I know something that nobody in here struggles with. We could probably just skip over this one. 
When's the last time that you prayed for more patience? I can't even remember, honestly, for me. That's like on the list of things that I pray for a lot. Patience wouldn't even make the page, front or back. But Paul is talking about the importance of having patience, of not just being humble, not just striving to speak everything with gentleness, but, but also being patient with people. The opposite of patience is impatient, frustrated, intolerant, agitated. Not only do we not have patience for people a lot of times in church, we don't have patience for the process that people go through. So many times your life brought you to a point where you made this decision to follow Jesus. And, and then whatever that journey has looked like for you, you fall into the trap of thinking everybody else's journey should line up with that. And the moment that their timeline doesn't line up with the time frame you had in mind, you think that now you're in a position to critique and judge somebody else's walk. One of the biggest killers of unity is a judgmental and critical spirit. I am so thankful that nowhere in the Bible does God ask me to judge somebody else's walk. And no, nowhere in the Bible am I supposed to be critical of somebody else's journey with God. And I'm so thankful because I, I, I couldn't even imagine doing that knowing the patience that God has to have with me. As somebody who is blessed enough to grow up around it my whole life, guess what? I still mess things up every day. I'm still working it out. God still needs patience with me every day. So where do I think that I could, I could get off judging or critiquing somebody else's walk? Timothy says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Can I give you like a little cheat, a little hack, how to have more patience for people, more patience for their process? Remind yourself that you're one of the worst sinners that ever walked the face of the earth. Just, just like Timothy is saying... Me, a sinner, he goes back to it, one of the worst sinners, God has had patience for me. The next time that you are tempted to allow your patience to run out on someone else, just remind yourself of all the patience that God has continually had to show you. Begin to remind yourself of what your week has looked like, what your day has looked like. Because if God's patience haven't run out on me, I should never get to the point where I'm allowing mine to run out on others. I'm called to be a reflection of this love that, that God has shown me. And so, again, you're not going to be perfect, but what we should be striving for is, God, give me patience like you have patience, because that does not come natural. I do not just have that. I need that. God, give me patience, because it's in my humility. It's in my gentleness. It's in my patience that people will see you. You could, know, you could study theology for the next 10 years, you could be the most well-versed person in the Bible. You could quote scripture left and right. You know what speaks louder than any of that to people? Humility, gentleness, patience, love. Knowledge is not a bad thing, but just like the lawyer, just because it's up here doesn't mean that it ever gotten here. We're called to maintain this unity that Jesus came to establish. 
as I have the, the band come up, I'm going to close out with this. Paul leaves us with, with, uh, with some hope. You know, he says, you need to be humble. You need to be gentle. You need to be patient. And then I love how he just ends it so practically saying, and you need to make the decision to bear with one another in love. So what that means is even if you're perfect on the first three, even if you're humble, even if you're speaking with gentleness, and even if you, you have some increased supernatural patience, you're still going to come to the point where you need to make a decision to bear with somebody. Just like I said a second ago about patience, you know how you bear with somebody? You remind yourself that there have been thousands of people that have bared with you. I know you think you're just a treat to be around 24-7, but there are a lot of people that look past some things that you've done or said. There is this practical element that sometimes I just need to make the decision that I'm going to stick with this person. I'm going to bear with somebody in love. Well, what does that look like? That sounds hard. What does that look like? It is hard. What that looks like is, you know, maybe maybe somebody has said something to you or about you. It's gone back to you or you heard it and, and it, it hit you funny. It hit you sideways. And your immediate reaction is to get offended and to get angry and to get upset. Well, maybe bearing with somebody means that you take a second and you start to think back about the month that that person has had and about all the things that, that are going on in that person's life. And maybe you come to the decision, yeah, I'll talk to him about it, but I'm going to overlook that because I know that person and I know their heart and I know that they would never mean that. I know that their intention is not how I took it. I know they just said something dumb and God knows I've said thousands of dumb things. Maybe that's what it looks like to bear with one another in love. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you've become so frustrated with because you're dealing with the same reoccurring issue or problem. And your pride is telling you, I'm not doing this anymore. This, this, this isn't worth my time. It'd be easier for me just to walk away. Well, maybe bearing with somebody is you saying, I am so frustrated and we are going to talk about this again, but I need you to know I'm not going anywhere. You're not, you're not losing me that easy. I love you. And as frustrated as I can get at times, this relationship to me is worth it. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to work this out. Community is, is hard work. Not just in a church context, but in a family context, in a marriage, with coworkers, with friends. You can do everything the right way and still need to make the decision, I'm going to bear with that person. I'm going to stick with this person. Because God has never given up on me. God is so faithful. God has always been there for me. I'm, I'm going to stick around. And I'm going to show this person what faithfulness looks like. I'm going to show this person what grace looks like. I'm going to show this person what, what patience looks like. The world does not need another professor, another good debater, another person to walk around reasoning unbelievers into believing. If you look around, if you watch the news, man, people are divided everywhere. There's so much hate everywhere that you look. There are so many different reasons why people disagree and why people dishonor each other and degrade each other. Do you know what speaks so loud? is love 
is patience, is gentleness, is humility. It's for somebody to see in your life, I care less about being right and I care more about you knowing that I love you and I'm here for you and I'm praying for you. And every journey may look a little different, but I'm, I'm sticking it out with you. That is what is going to catch the world's attention. I know more people that have brought people to the Lord just because they've acted in this way than people who walked up to somebody and just started preaching to them or commented on something that they post and ripped them apart and showed them in Scripture why they were wrong. Come to think of it, I don't know that I've ever met somebody who got saved that way. This, this may have some practical repercussions for you. I'll be honest with you, I hardly ever go on Facebook anymore, ever. I'll go on Instagram and I'll go on Facebook if I'm doing something for the church. I don't go on Facebook anymore. You know why? Because it makes it so much harder for me to love people the way I'm supposed to love people. I'm serious. I would rather not see it. I'd rather not know it. And then the next time I see you, I can genuinely just, it's hard for me. So I'm like, why do I need, I don't need this. I don't need this. All that does is that just wakes up this pride in me that wants to argue or debate or be right or I don't need that. I'm not called to be right. I'm called to love you and serve you. And so if that's impeding that, then I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to do away with it. This could have such a huge impact, not just in your life, but the lives of everybody around you. Paul says in Colossians 3, you'll notice how similar this language is to Ephesians. He says, as those who have been chosen of God, say chosen, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I want to ask you to stand up as we're about to transition just into one more song. We got a prayer team along the, the back wall, and if you're here this morning and you came in here being burdened or overwhelmed, stressed out by anything, it doesn't have to do with what we talked about today, it could be anything. Our prayer team along the back just would love to encourage you. They'd love to listen to you, number one, give you a hug, let you know that you got people that are praying for you. So as soon as we start this song, you can make your way back there and get prayer. But I want to end it like this really quick. I think it's so funny in that last passage how Paul mentions all of these really difficult but practical things that we're supposed to do to maintain unity. And then he ends it with the words, and be thankful. Like, thankful for what? You just literally destroyed my life. Like, you just literally tore down every relationship and friendship that I have. All these things are so hard. What? Be thankful. Man, we have this opportunity. We, we have this gift that, that God hasn't just saved you, but then he's turned around and he has offered you involvement. He, he has offered you an opportunity to draw other people to himself. He has given you this, this opportunity to live your life in such a way that it would point other people to Jesus. So you could either be stressed out and overwhelmed with the current political climate and all the everything that's going on around us in your family and at your job, or you could be thankful and look at it as an opportunity and remind yourself, wait a second, 
I was chosen. I was chosen by God to have these kids, to be married to this person, to be in this job. I I was chosen by God to live right now where I'm at. And so if I was chosen by God to be here, that means that there's purpose to my life. I I could be stressed out about all the hate that's swirling around me, or I could look at it as an opportunity of God. You could use me to be a light in the darkness. You could use me through my humility, through my patience, my gentleness, through my love, that, that somebody could see you through my actions. God, if you could use this life, if, if you could use this friendship or this relationship, then use it. Do, do in me what you need to do to, to show yourself so strong to the people around me. Man, we have an opportunity to make a difference. You have an opportunity to establish unity around you, not just so that you're comfortable at every family event, so that people see Jesus in you, so that your loved ones see the love of Christ in you, so that your coworkers see this grace and patience all around you that they've never seen in anybody. And it leads up to an opportunity for you to share with them, this isn't from me, this is supernatural. I serve a God who has been so patient and gracious with me All I can do is show you that in return. Come on, we can be thankful that there is purpose behind your life. There is purpose behind unity. There is purpose behind community. I want to invite you all across this room, man. If you're here and you're like, man, I got some stuff to work on. My hand is the first one up. If you're like, man, the Holy Spirit convicted me of some things, I want to ask you just to raise your hand. I want to pray for you as a community, as a body, that we would take serious this call that we would begin to tune our ears to the Holy Spirit, that we would be slow to speak and quick to listen. Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you haven't just abandoned us to do life on our own, but that you you live inside of us. I thank you that you care about every decision that I make. I, I, I thank you that you care about every word that comes out of my mouth, and I thank you that your desire is to lead me and to guide me and to speak to me. So Jesus, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak so clearly the things that I have allowed to creep up in my life that have hindered me from hearing your voice. I pray that you'd point those things out, that you would cut them away, that I would hear your voice so clearly. I pray that the next time that I begin to to, to fall back to wanting to be right, wanting to be justified or recognized or respected, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction, that I would care less about what I look like and care more about that person knowing that I love them. I pray that if I'm talking in a way that that isn't pointing people to you, I pray that you would convict me that I need to speak with more gentleness. I I pray that if there are relationships right now where my patience have run out, Holy Spirit, supernaturally, we we pray for patience this morning. I, I pray that I would reflect you in the way that I handle myself. Give us this this ability, strengthen us to make this incredibly difficult decision sometimes to bear with other people in love, to not give up. God, I, I thank you that you never give up on us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, help me show that to the people that are in my life. Help me show that to the people that are around me. Jesus, we, we know and we see how important unity is to you, and I just pray that that would be so important to us. I pray that in this community and in this church, we would make it a priority. 
Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.